You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And tonight, we are... Hey Queens, what's going on? Welcome back to the Queendom Podcast. I know I've said this before, but I promise I am back working on things now. We are racking up the episodes. I'm trying to just organize things with obviously with the Queens being back at work and that type of thing. It makes it a lot harder to lock in times and get episodes done, but I promise I am working on it for you today. However, I am talking to one of the producers. Um, you see his name on your ticket throughout the program. Mr. George Styles joins me today. I had an absolute blast talking to him uh, and I can't wait for you guys to hear this chat as well. Uh, so stay tuned. Make sure you're following us on Oz Queendom. We are back on Instagram. For those of you that have lost us, look up Oz Queendom on your Instagram. Make sure you're checking us a follow and we are about to get down. Here we go. Hey Queens and welcome back to Season 2 of the Queendom Podcast. Today I am joined by a very special guest, Mrs. Jo- Mr. George Styles. Hey George, how are you going? Hey Josh, nice to be here. Hi Queendom! Guys, um, what we'll do George, can you just quickly give everyone a rundown of your role with the show just so they can place you in the overall Queendom arch at the moment? Absolutely. Well, um, my name is George Stiles, and I first became involved with Six when I saw the original student production after it had come back from Edinburgh at Cambridge. Um, I am an old friend of Toby Marlowe's, one of the writers, as I'm sure you will know. And um, his dad and I were in a band at school, if you please. And um, I've known Toby since he was a little boy. And when he was about 16, his dad reached out and said, look, I think Toby's got the musical theatre bug. So would you mind if he joined you for a bit of work experience and you can try and talk him out of it? So um, he was doing his GCSEs, you know, his sort of exams you do when you're 15, 16 years old over here. And he... um, he came and did some work experience with me and we talked about musicals and musical theatre for the whole day. And then he came back and did more work experience and actually shadowed me on a workshop of a new show I was writing. Yeah. And by the time he took six up to Edinburgh, he had called me up and said, we've written this show, which we're taking to Edinburgh. And um, I think you might quite enjoy it. Can you come and see it? And I said, unfortunately, I can't get to Edinburgh this summer. 
But then when he was there, he rang me up and said, people are saying really nice things about our show and people are making offers and saying, can we bring the show into London? What should I do? And I said, get everyone's phone numbers and sign nothing and agree to nothing. <laughs> and, then, and then he said, well, you could come and see it in Cambridge if you like. So I seized that opportunity. Yeah. And the moment I saw it, I thought, I have to help bring this to a bigger audience. And so I became one of the show's producers. I love which that. Which I have been from that day forwards. And we, we spoke to Andy um, from Global Creatures earlier yeah. in the podcast life. Um, so not, gro- gro- not Global Creatures. That's oh, another sorry. thing entirely. It's um, Global Musicals, isn't it? Yes, Global yes, Musicals. Sorry. It's global Creatures is Carmen a, Pavlova, which yeah. is a very different proposition. just had my... Uh, emails up there and it was just there that's my bad <laughs> i apologize um but yes yeah, so there's you and global musicals and then kenny wax as well um that's right yes. as that um producer team so when you saw the show in cambridge what was your initial reaction after hearing obviously that they've got offers what was your um kind of thought process going into seeing the show well i've spent a lot of my adult working life trying to encourage new British musicals yeah. in various different ways, but it's taken a lot of my professional time because I believe very strongly that we have to build a writing community who know what they're doing and can deliver a new generation of musicals to the world. Yeah. So I'm very used to seeing new musicals from young writers and my expectations are frankly not normally high yeah but i knew toby was a very smart young man and i had heard from various people that this show was being talked about in very excited terms so i knew the proposition the six wives reborn as a girl band which i think i thought sounded as ridiculous as anything i'd ever heard (laughs) But the lights dimmed, the queens came out on stage and they struck up with Divorce Beheaded Live. And within two minutes, I was sat so far forward in my seat, I was in danger of falling into the row in front (laughs) because I just thought it was the smartest, wittiest thing I'd heard. And then the thing that really struck me was that the theatre was full of people largely under 26 years old because it was full of their student friends and an entirely young audience really from Cambridge and environs. And for me, that is like the Holy grail to get an audience under 30 into the theater is usually the hardest thing in the world to do. But this show, whilst pressing all of their buttons, they all thought they were at a pop concert, not at a theater show. Mm. They were shouting and screaming like they're, you know, like Beyonce just walked (laughs) on stage and I just loved that whole vibe. And yet it didn't make me at, I think, 54 years old at that time, maybe, didn't make me feel like I'd missed the boat and that this wasn't for me. I got 90% of the jokes. And luckily, my Tudor history was strong enough to know that they'd done their research. Yeah. And I just got more and more excited as the songs progressed. At what moment was it that you were like, cool, I need to be a part of this? Well, there were two moments, really. One was when we got to 
the famous danger moment in any show, which is like the third song. And yeah. so we'd had divorce beheaded, we'd had sorry, um, we'd had no way, we'd had sorry, not sorry. We'd had Heart of Stone, and then they gave me House of Holbein. And I, at that moment, I knew that they were geniuses. <laughs> because I thought this is just so ridiculously yeah. brilliant to, to tackle something from a complete left field and upset your apple cart in terms of what you've been expecting, you know, which is queen by queen, song by song. We're just going to introduce each one, tell their story, and off we go. Yeah. But we're going to do it in such an unexpected way with House of Holborn. I just thought, right now we are sailing. We are really sailing. Yeah, and the version you saw was, was obviously also the the version before all the lights and costumes and the sound design that we currently see today as well back in absolutely those student Absolutely right. So, yeah, but like, it was still very, very well achieved. It's, yeah. It had it had all the raw ingredients. It might not have had all the German techno air horns and everything that's in the studio album track and the show version, but it still got everybody up on their feet, clapping their hands above their head like they were in a club in Germany. I just thought it was brilliant. And from- so I was in from that moment, really. That is just, it, it's really cool to hear like the origin stories of all of this going from there from from your um route from that point seeing the show this is for all everyone at home listening that kind of has ever thought about putting on a show producing shows or anything like that what was the process of you to get involved um as a part of that producer core producer team from that moment well the first thing was to meet lucy because i'd not met her until after the show that night. So I met Lucy and we chatted and chatted, the three of us, and had more drinks. I'd already had way too much wine by the time I sat down because it was actually (laughs) Toby's birthday and we'd celebrated his birthday over a pizza before we saw the show because the show was at midnight. So by this stage, it was like 1.30 in the morning. Yeah, I was A, tired, B, a bit drunk. But I said to them, look, I've got lots of ideas. I would love it. If you're sober enough, would you come to my hotel and I'll buy you breakfast tomorrow morning? So bless them. They blearily agreed and somewhat tentatively, they ventured in for um, eggs and coffee at 8.30 the next morning. And from that moment, we, I think, realised that we both could see a, a version of the show going forward that felt true to their intentions. And I felt, even though I'd never produced anything before, um, other than a few meals in my kitchen, (laughs) um, I I was, until that point, I was a composer and one half of a writing team of Styles and Drew. And we'd done the new songs for Mary Poppins. We'd written a show called Honk, which had gone all over the world and won us an Olivier Award. And... We'd worked with Cameron McIntosh throughout our career. And, you know, if there is anyone who I continue to admire universally as a producer, it's Cameron. Yeah. And I think some of his skill as a producer must have rubbed off on me. (laughs) I I kind of thought, right, well, 
I think I can help because I think I know some people who could take this to the next next level. Yeah. And I also immediately thought of my friend Kenny Wax, who actually produced the tour of Honk a million years ago after it won the Olivier at the National Theatre in the UK in 2000. He took it on a tour of the UK, which nearly killed him. But um, we've been friends for 20 odd years and I thought he was the perfect person because he likes new shows, he likes new talent and he had a real experience in the West End. Yeah. So he was my first phone call. My second was to Andy and Wendy Barnes because I already knew them and I knew they were great champions of new British musicals yeah. as well. And so our paths had crossed because of that. And in fact, I'd presented a concert for them in Edinburgh a few years before for their perfect pitch project. Yeah. And I, I thought, well, I know Andy and Wendy loved the show and they've put their hat in the ring already and I didn't want to cut them out. So I thought, why don't we all meet in London and talk about the show and see if there's a way that we could all produce it together? Yeah. Because there's strength in numbers, particularly when producing a new yeah. musical in Britain. You know, it's an expensive and risky business and I thought we're going to need all the help we can get. <laughs> get as many hands in the ring as possible to get Absolutely. it up and running. Yeah. And then I tried on the way back on the train from Cambridge, nursing my hangover, I tried to find them an agent, Toby and Lucy, because I thought if we're going to get into a business deal here, they need to be properly represented. Yeah. They need to have somebody looking after their interests. So I called the person I thought was the most promising young female agent at the time and unfortunately she announced to me that she was recently pregnant and she was going to take a year away from the agenting business to have her baby so she wouldn't be able to take on Toby and Lucy which was a sad thing but my backup plan worked very well which was that my own agent and lawyer John Cohen was very interested in their story yeah. and he agreed to represent them in the negotiations that might be coming their way. Yeah. And I knew that with him looking after them, nothing bad would happen to them. So, because he's just one of those people, again, he's a good guy. He does plays all the games correctly. He doesn't yeah. try and stitch anyone up or walk away with something for himself that he shouldn't have. And they got on like a house on fire as well. And so... I felt I'd done the right thing by them. I'd given them somebody to look after them. And then I felt I could move in and say, right, well, why don't we try and do this show of yours? And I met with Kenny and Andy at Kenny's offices in Shaftesbury Avenue in yeah. the heart of London's West End. And we all agreed that we could work together to produce the show. So off we went. And here we are today. How, that's, mm. that's the first time I've ever heard parts of that story. And that was just, really 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 cool i hope that intrigued everyone else as much as it intrigued me because that was just really amazing um so Thank getting in much. having that initial conversation getting on board then the work begins cool how are we going to do it um getting well the, the best bit was actually getting kenny to see the show because they were only doing one more show in cambridge <laughs> before they all had to disband so yeah. There was one show the next night at midnight 
at the ADC Theatre in Cambridge. So I called Kenny, who had just opened a tour in Bristol, and he was getting onto a train. And I said, I, I left him a voicemail. I said, I've just seen a new British musical, and as sure as I've ever been of anything, it's a hit. And you need to come and see it. It's on tonight at midnight, so you've got to get your ass here to Cambridge. <laughs> he immediately texted me back and said, tell me more about it. So I said, it's one act, 75 minutes long. The Six Wives of Henry VIII, Reborn as a Girl Brand. I, I did the whole pitch. Yeah. And I said, it's perfect as it is. It doesn't want to be any longer. It's kind of written for, as Toby and Lucy put it, the Netflix generation who are yeah. used to hour-long TV episodes. So it's kind of the perfect length. It doesn't need anything taking away or adding. Yeah. It's just a little gem. And he said, sounds interesting. I'll be there. He said, I've got to look after my daughter Jemima tonight. So I'll have to find out if she fancies coming too. So Jemima, who was 15 at the time, um, was scooped up from the end of her school day in London yeah. and whisked up to Cambridge. And they sat down to the midnight show together. And at the end, Jemima leant across to her dad and said, Dad, if you don't produce this, I'll never speak to you again. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that ain't the kick that you need to do it. <laughs> what well, is? there's your core audience. You know, Jemima yeah. was just, you know, a, a musically theatre savvy teenage girl. Yeah feeling massively empowered and excited by the show. And um, Kenny realised that it spoke directly both to him and to his daughter. So he was in. It was, um, and then he texted me and said, with the build-up you gave it, it was almost bound to be a disappointment, wasn't it? Question mark. <laughs> and I knew he was winding me up. And then the next line said, you're absolutely right. I'm in. Let's meet next week. Yeah, that's that's so cool, and these are the things kind of that go under the rug. Like it, it's a lot of hard work for you guys to get things up and running, and um, obviously get a team together to produce something on the West End, let alone um, tour it worldwide as well. Um, getting things set up and onto the West End, what was that feeling like when the initial art season? got extended and extended and extended um, and seeing the kind of fan base come together and explode. Absolutely thrilling. I mean, I think we knew from the outset that social media was going to be how this show took off. Yeah. Because it was what everyone was tweeting and Instagramming about in Edinburgh already and at Cambridge when I went to see it. And it was just, you know, it was clear that that audience was going to tell their friends about it on social media. Yeah. They weren't going to buy a newspaper and see an ad for it and think, oh, I'll go and see that, the old way we used to do things. Yeah. This was all going to be word of mouth, but word of digital mouth. Mm. But then the fun thing was that Kenny said, I've got a theatre in London over Christmas and there were a few Monday nights when we could do some shows. Do you fancy us doing a tryout? And Toby and Lucy said, come, yeah, let's. Do it in London, of course. Let's yeah, see what we've got. Of course, like as if we're going to say no to that. <laughs> Absolutely, but but it was literally only for like three Monday nights. Yeah. Then we managed to add another two Monday nights at the end of it because every single ticket went because again the word had spread, and we tried out a 
young female director of my acquaintance to direct the show for that. And um, she did a very good job, but it didn't thrill Toby and Lucy. Okay. And Lucy had originally choreographed the Edinburgh production with direction by Jamie Armitage. And um, I thought they'd done a really, really good job. And so as the conversations went on after the the um, tryout productions director didn't quite cut the mustard, we sat in a room all thinking who should we get, who should we get, who should we get? And Lucy was very determined it should be a female, quite rightly, as was Toby. And I said, well, Lucy, you did such a great job choreographing the original production with Jamie directing. Why don't you direct it with Jamie? And then we've got all the best bits, what you've already done. And we can also think again where you'd like to think again. But we'll get you a kick-ass choreographer to work with so that you're not having to be responsible for the steps and the direction. And after some serious thinking, she decided that she liked that idea. And um, I I felt that, you know, Jamie had helmed it really, really well through the writing process in Edinburgh. And it was was a good thing if we could keep his involvement because he'd clearly, you know, done a lot to help birth a new musical in a very short period of time and deliver something that everyone was excited about. So it was very happy that those two could go forward together as a team. Yeah. And my, my other couple of significant contributions were I already worked with a young orchestrator and arranger called Tom Curran. And I thought Tom might be a good fit for Toby and Lucy. And so I arranged them to meet. They absolutely didn't stop talking for about an hour and a half <laughs> and making each other laugh and agreeing on their love of all things pop. And so Tom came on board to orchestrate the show. They also asked me to meet their musical director and vocal arranger and previous orchestrator of the show, Joe Baton, because he was about to go to Mountain View to do a postgraduate diploma in musical direction. And I thought, well, he clearly knows that he wants to work in this industry too. And I was very impressed by him. So he stayed on board to do the vocal arrangements and with Toby and make it sound as fabulous as it does for those queens. You know, those vocal harmonies for me are one of the great joys of the... Just isolating them when you listen to the show sometimes, it just blows your mind, some of the parts that are in there. It's just so well done. And I just love the way whenever they say the word six, yeah. it's all in harmony. Just adore that. It made me smile so much. So I thought, well, that's great. And then I also knew a young lighting designer who did a huge amount of concert work as well as theatre, an American who lives in London called Tim Dyling. Yeah. And I thought Tim would be a great addition to the team. And I'd also worked with a brilliant young sound designer called Paul Gatehouse. And I wondered if he'd be interested. So luckily, the musical and sound side of it all came together really quite easily. And with Tim's lights, all we had to do was find costumes and set and (laughs) choreography. So um, Lucy met lots of people. 
And um, Carrie-Anne Henri stood out, who'd been working on Hamilton, as well as her own hip-hop stuff and so on. And um, the team got born with Gabriella Slade and Emma Bailey. It came together beautifully. And that is the joy of producing. It's getting a family together that love each other and challenge each other and come up with great work. Was it important to you guys, like obviously ushering in that um, young writing team to then just throw a whole heap of young people into the mix as well and be like, cool, we're going to usher in that new generation of designers um, and creatives into this show and let them shine? Absolutely. Good question, Josh. I think I think the show is all about youth, really. Yeah. And I think the fact that it has such a great young vibe to it is because so many of the people involved are right at the beginning of their careers. Yeah. But I knew with Tom Curran, I knew with Tim Dyling, I knew with Paul Gatehouse, they all had enough experience to deliver what we needed. but also for it to not feel tired or stale in any way. And that was the same was true with every member of the team, I think. They all had enough experience to be able to deliver and understand the kind of consistent and concerted effort that it takes once you've got a show into production to continue to hone it and work away at it until it becomes an absolutely copper-bottomed hit. And that I think that is the also one of the big calling factors. Like once you kind of dig into the show a little bit and find out that it's a young team that wrote this. Like they're I think they're only a couple of years older than me. Um, and like it's just really for those that are looking to get into that part of the industry. It's just that like oh cool I can do this now. I don't have to wait. I don't have to work on it for twenty thirty years. If I have an idea. I can get it out and see where it goes from there. Um, and I think... Absolutely. As I say in my bio in the program of six, it happened for Marlo and Moss. It could happen for you. If you're yeah. excited by this, go home and get writing. Yeah. And like, that's where this podcast was born. Like this was born at BroadwayCon um, with the oh, lovely. New York right. producers and everything walking around. I was like, a podcast. And they were like, yes. And I was like, cool. And I recorded that episode that night. And that's where we are here today. Like you just gotta, if you're passionate about it, just do it, I think. And absolutely right. You're passionate enough and it shows through it, It'll work out in one way or another. It's just a matter of sticking to it and seeing where things go. It absolutely is. And Toby and Lucy, you know, they, it was born out of a necessity yeah. Their university musical society wanted to take a show to Edinburgh, but they couldn't afford the normally expensive rights for a show that was well known. Yeah. So they wanted something written specially. And Toby and Lucy thought, well, that would be fun, but only if we can write something that has great parts for women, because there are so many shows which have shit parts for women. Yeah. Excuse my language. And <laughs> so they started with a really strong wish which was, you know, enshrined in the principles that they famously wrote down in each of their notebooks that they wanted to adhere to in the writing of this show. And I think that's what made it so brilliant. A, they had a fantastic idea. 
The Six Wives Reborn as a Girl Band. Mad, but brilliant. And of course, they were doing this right at the moment that the Me Too movement swept across yeah. from America through Europe and I'm sure all the way to Australia 100%. and around the world. And the wonderful thing was seeing it when I did, it just felt like they had got their board position in the perfect place and they jumped onto the wave just as it crested. Yeah. To use a good Australian surfing analogy. <laughs> And this wave was a long runner and it, it felt like it, you know, it had real push behind it. Yeah. As a producer, getting to see obviously the show grow to the point it was, taking it on tour in the UK, then looking at cruise ships, moving it out to Australia and New Zealand, and then looking at Broadway, um, taking a British musical across the pond is a tough thing to do. Um, and with the weeks of, previews that you actually had in new york the reviews i was there the week before preview uh, i left a couple of days before previews started but the hype oh, that was around shoot. it yeah i know i was so disappointed don't get me wrong i was trying to figure out every way to stay <laughs> um but just hearing how people were talking about it at broadway con just on the streets once the marquee went up what was it like looking at it from the outside and being like this is going to be that stamping point for new British musicals coming across to New York and making it big instead of the opposite way around. Um, and well, it's been, it had been the other way around for so many years yeah. and nothing had really taken from Britain for many, many years in the States. And, you know, I, I was painfully aware of that as a British writer. Yeah. Um, we'd, we'd been lucky enough to have, a lot of success, not on Broadway, but in the USA and all of North America with our little show Honk, yeah. the retelling of The Ugly Duckling. You know, that's it's been done thousands of times across North America, mainly because it won the Olivier Award and beat The Lion King and Mamma Mia, miraculously. And that made everybody hear about it. But yeah. uh, to, to be in New York and literally, if you mentioned to anyone that you were there because you were producing six their eyes lit up. It was an extraordinary thing. And I had had more offers of people who wanted to invest in the show than I could actually take up. So um, I knew that everyone was excited about it, but to then fly in and see the last preview, as I did, yeah, the night I arrived, and get that sense of a 1500 seat Broadway house literally taking the roof off the place mm. for a show about British queens from hundreds of years ago. It just felt like one of those absolutely pinch me. I must be dreaming moments. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I think that's like, it's something that I always go back to with the show. Every time I think about it, I'm like, just the, if you strip it down and look at it, it doesn't make sense as to why it's so big. But then when you look at it as a production, it's like, this is just the perfect mixture of looking at a generation and being like, cool, how are we going to encapture these people, bring them into theatre, and then also look at, like, you've got the history people, like, the older generation are like, cool, oh, the Tudor Queens, yeah, cool, let's see what this is about. Then you've got the young people that are like, 
seeing it on social media and are all about it. It's just this really cool amalgamation of worlds, I think, in theatre that we haven't seen before. There's always, I feel like there's always been like that rift between the old school um, theatre and then that new wave of theatre that's coming through. And I think Six has just pushed all the worlds together and gone, why don't we just do both? Absolutely. And it for me, I think the brilliance is I don't think it leaves anybody feeling like their side of things has been shortchanged. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's not like the history side of it has been glossed over. And it's also not like the songs have not been given their chance to shine because yeah. we've got to be busy telling the story. So we can't allow ourselves to have a fun song because we've got to keep going with the plot. And that was the other thing when I saw it. I just thought, I want to make a record of these songs because I think people are going to fall in love with them. And if we make a great record, I think the record could actually become an event in its own right. So yeah. that was my, that was why I wanted to focus on getting a musical team together who could deliver the sound of the show. And, you know, so it's proved, you know, it's extraordinary. 500 million streams of the studio album. Hard to believe. That's so cool. Like, and like, oh, that's just, that's an incredible number, especially in like, what's that? Three years roughly since it's been up. Like that's yep. a lot of work for a, like, a Edinburgh Fringe show to now, like I know. just it's just insane to think about the the process. Um, obviously, coming out of COVID with shutdowns and everything like that, what are you looking forward to most in the coming months um, of seeing the show? Obviously, back up on tour um, at the moment, back in town. Uh, I think there's looking at cruises and that type of thing again. Obviously, we've got word Australia's coming back. What what are you looking forward to most um, about seeing this show get back on its feet and take over the world again? I am so much looking forward to it being back in Australia because um, it was such a big success before COVID shut it down. And obviously seeing it back on Broadway and having that opening night that was stolen away from us with the shutdown of Broadway yeah. on March the 12th. I think those two things, but also seeing it with a completely packed audience at the Lyric before it has to leave there in September will be very exciting. We're getting up every day. We're getting more and more people into the theatre. But because they had to completely reseat the stalls at the Lyric Theatre on Shaftesbury Avenue to get the COVID distancing protocols in place, they can't just throw all the seats back in immediately. They need yeah. to actually take some rows out, move their position and re-put the other rows in. And that's work that takes a matter of many days. And so it can't happen overnight. Yeah. However big a show crew you put in, it's it has to happen bit by bit. We're up to about 660 people a show at the moment now, which is wonderful, but it's not the same as it being 1100, which will yeah. be very exciting. So I can't just wait to see it with a completely full house. Amazing. Um, for those people listening at home that are, as we said earlier, potentially looking at producing shows or have been in that world for a little bit and obviously this is your first time doing it, what, what advice do you have for those people looking to pursue um, the 
production side of theatre um, and maybe even the writing side since you are a composer as well? I think well. the same advice goes for writers and for producers. Yeah. You've got to absolutely believe that your idea is the one. Yeah. It's no good going to something just because you think it will sell or because you think there's an audience for it. You've got to believe in it and want to tell that story. You've got to love it. You've got to be passionate about it because it will, any musical or any production in the theatre will take you a long time to get to fruition. Yeah. It just does. And so you've got to really be in love with your material because it's, you know, it's like a relationship. It's going to get sorely tested as the years go by. So you've got to make sure you really, really love each other. If it's a relationship, you've got to make sure you love your show if you're going to write it or produce it. Because then you know that whatever the adversities, you won't fall out of love with each other. Yeah. You're in it for a long haul is what I would say. So you've got to stress test your idea. Make sure that it's going to hold water. Yeah. I think that is the perfect answer to that question. Um, wow. Um, even I was like, yeah, I feel that just with everything I've got going on at the moment. Um, to wrap us up, George, final question. Um, and this is something I throw at pretty much every guest. Um, what is your favorite part of Six the Musical? <laughs> that's really unfair because there's uh, too many I, that's the answer i get from everybody and i make everybody pick one <laughs> um i think the line remember that i was a writer i wrote songs and poems and meditations yeah in i don't need your love remix is just i adore that moment that because yeah. it's just when the song flips around and Kathy Parr takes ownership of it and the whole story revolves on that moment and we realise that we are in the hands of an empowered queen again and it just I just have so much joy in that moment both musically and lyrically I think that's my favourite moment every time and that right there is the perfect note to wrap us up on here, Queens. Thank you guys for joining us. We are back with season two. I promise we are back this time. We have a lot planning with Australia coming back. We're working with the tour Queens and hopefully the town Queens as well. Um, but stay tuned. Make sure you subscribed if you haven't. Follow us on Instagram. George is on Instagram as well. So if you haven't already followed him, check him out as well. All the links will be down below, guys. And we will see you back next week with a brand new episode of the Queendom podcast. Bye. <laughs> Stay safe, Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.
With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.